fans and welcome to the big blue box podcast my name's gary my name's adam and welcome to episode 388 yeah Welcome to another episode. We hope you enjoyed last week's when we were back for 387. Back to reviewing Doctor Who proper. Proper Who. Proper. Yes. And uh, we're back filling in the gaps, basically. We've got a, a... It's crazy. We were talking before we started recording, and we've got a big spreadsheet. A bit geeky. I know. We've got a very big spreadsheet that's got every single story of Doctor Who. And we were going through it, and we were like, hmm... We've actually done quite a lot, haven't we? We've, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have, yeah. Yeah, so we're trying to fill in the gaps. And the problem is, is however much we've tried to space out stories that a couple of Doctors who have got a lot more stories than other Doctors, it's still a bit tricky. So we've got, I, I think we've got about, I don't know, four or five stories left for Tom. Maybe six stories. But the trouble is we've done all of Davison. There's only one f- left for for McCoy, we've got a couple of uh, Pertwee stories. There's there's quite a few of the earlier ones, you know, like the Hartnell and, and Troughton era stuff, isn't there? But that's um, that's a unfortunately bit... a lot of them are missing. We were sort of going mm. through saying actually, although there's a lot on this list that um, we haven't done yet, we won't be able to do them. So like Marco Polo's on there. Um, I mean, a, f- a few of them have been animated since we. Yeah, know, set up the spreadsheet, uh, so I guess that we could do the animations. I think Underwater Menace is one that we haven't done. I haven't even watched that animation yet. I don't know if you did. You get round to watching that? It's released yeah. fairly recently. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so well, we... I won't ask you what you think of it. Was <laughs> yeah. I'll save your thoughts, but yeah. So we've got quite a few stories from the from the Heartland and Troughton eras that are, as we said, they're either missing or mm. or whatever. So, um. Yeah, we're going to have to try and figure those ones out. We'll figure it out somehow, but uh, yeah, you'll find out later on in the show what we're going to review next week from our... It's mainly classic Doctor Who, to be honest with you. I mean, there is a um, there is one modern story, but it's quite <laughs> seasonal, should we say. So we can't yeah. just drop that in you know, at the drop of it. So anyway, we'll figure it out. But yeah, it's to be honest with you, dude, it's it's actually really cool looking through that schedule and seeing what all the stories we've done and you know the few that are left to do so we're almost there we're almost yeah there. i'm actually quite surprised um and you i think mentioned uh i, I don't think it was while we we're recording i think it's after we finished <clears throat> last week you you reminded me that it's uh this is like 10 years uh this year that we started doing the podcast is that right this is our it 10 is. year anniversary, which I find incredible, um, to be yeah. honest with you, because I can still remember sitting on the sofa and getting um, getting uh, a message from you saying, Do you f- oh, that was fun, that podcast we when you jumped on. Do you fancy doing it full time? And I was like, hmm, yeah, why not? <laughs> and that, that literally feels like it could be last week. So I can't believe it's 10 years. So, yeah. I guess we've been blitzing through them over that time, but it is, yeah, incredible when I look at that spreadsheet and see how many we've done. 
Yeah, that's true. And if you're a new time listener to the Big Blue Box, you've got loads of content <laughs> to go back and listen mm-hmm. to because not only have we reviewed nearly all of the main stuff, we also reviewed all of Torchwood and all of yeah. Sarah Jane Adventures. And we also right. did class as well. Gosh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, someone um, commented on the, our Facebook page this week, didn't they, and asked if we were going to ever do Canon and Company. Was it on Facebook or? Yeah, Facebook. Yeah. Twitter X, whatever it's called. Um, yes, and that is one that I've got a friend, well, we've got a friend called Adam, who is desperate for us to do Canon <laughs> and Company. So I guess we will, uh, but I don't know when. But I guess at some point we'll get around to doing that one. Canon! Yeah, I think it's one of those things, isn't it, where um, if we have enough people say, you know, you guys really should be, then we'll have a look. I guess we, yeah, I'm sure we can fit that one in. We can squeeze that in, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Right, so, yeah, before we get on with the uh, rest of the show, we've got one small bit of news Mm -hmm. uh, to to speak. But we won't land a TARDIS and do it all properly, we'll just mention it now. And then we're on to our review of... um, a certain Tom Baker story, as we're trying to get his stories uh, done and finished, uh, and you'll find out later on in the show how you can um, how you can uh, follow the Big Blue Box and all that stuff. But yeah, just to reiterate that we have so much back content now that if you are if you want to listen to us to waffle and talk about Doctor Who and all the things, basically, then enjoy. Grab a cup of tea, sit down, and uh, and uh, you can find us on all the podcast apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You know, all the things, Google, Amazon, and go all the way back to March 2014. Indeed. And if you yeah. do go back and listen to some of those really early ones, uh, you may need a couple of cups of tea because some of them are about four hours long. So <laughs> we've tightened up uh, the podcast over the years, haven't we, mate? Sometimes <laughs> we've not been successful at it. But um, we have trimmed a little bit of the fat off the podcast over the years. Some of the early ones are quite long. They're still good, listener. Still go and listen to them. But um, mm. yeah, we used to do other things that we don't do now anymore. So yeah, you may need a couple of cups of tea. That is true. If you listen to an early one, yeah. Yeah, that Fill is the true. kettle to the brim and <laughs> get it boiled. <laughs> this is very true. I had not considered that. Yeah, when we first started recording, we talked for hours, didn't we? Christ. Oh, and we used to do merchandising, and Dalit Tat would pop in and uh, give us his take on stuff. Oh, yeah. Dalit Tat, yeah. Oh, Dalit Tat, where is he now? <laughs> we just don't know. Who knows? Circling the, uh, circling the uh, poosh, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Or clum. Or clum, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, we're making it sound like a bit of a uh, coming to an end, by the way. That's not the case. Because <laughs> yeah, we have, it uh, sound a bit like that, yeah, it? we have lots Sorry. of Doctor Who on the way, as we know. We yeah. have uh, we have Shooties first series dropping in May, so we'll obviously be around to record all that stuff, and then his second series and whatever else comes from those guys over at Russell's place now, mm. over at Bad Wolf. We know we've got spin-offs on the way. Who knows? But we'll be around for all that. So yeah, and also on top of that. We also have our writing team that put out big finish reviews and various articles and stuff like that. So check out the website as well, Big Blue Box Podcast at Code UK. Even more Doctor Who content to get stuck Indeed, into. Those guys do really great work for us as well. So yeah, do go check out their content. It's fab. It is fab. Fam dabby dozy. Right. Um, <laughs> let's God, talk about so you don't hear every day. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about 
the new Blu-ray box set that was announced uh, earlier mm. last uh, earlier this week. Uh, we had some artwork that was, as is always the case, that goes out early, doesn't it? Someone gets hold of it and starts doing the rounds on on the socials and whatnot. And it was looked. You can always tell when it's legit or if it's a fan edit or something like that. And the reason you can tell it's legit usually is because uh, uh, Lee Binding, who does all the artwork for all these box sets, his work is just unmistakable. Like the mm. quality of his work and and just how amazing it is. It, it just you can tell a mile off. So there's loads of fan edits of of, of various um, other series where people have said, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was, you know, this if they did this season next and." A bunch of people knocked. So, and it's typically very good. Don't get me wrong, but you can just tell that this was a a legit thing. So, season fifteen, bud, is the next yes. Blu-ray box set which is going to hit. Uh, I don't know exactly when. It's probably going to be where are we now? Mid January. It's probably going to be April. I would say end of March, reckon, beginning of yeah. April, something like that. That's mm-hmm. uh, when it's going to land. But. Um, uh, interesting to get your thoughts on this particular season because I believe I could be wrong. I have to check this, mm-hmm. but I believe that we've reviewed all the stories in this season. Yeah, and uh, as a season as a whole, dude, what do you reckon to this one? I think it's a it's a, it's not one of the best Baker seasons, but I, I think it's one that when you look at the stories, there is a lot to enjoy. There, I'm just looking to see what's in it because I know it's it, Fan Rock is obviously in there, isn't it? It's I was going to say it, it contains a lot of stories that I don't often go back to. If if you like, they're yeah. not they're not yeah. sort of up there as some of my classic Tom ones, but there is also some good ones. Um, let me have a look. What stories do we have in it? Yeah, there are some um, some interesting ones. So the the series kicks off with Horror of Fang Rock. That's it. Yeah, which is obviously a classic. You and I review that quite highly. I think mm-hmm. really love that yeah. one. Very very cool. Uh, then the Invisible Enemy, Image of the Fendal, the Sunmakers, Underworld, and then the Invasion of Time. Oh, Invasion of Time, mm. yeah, of course, yeah. Sunmakers is one that um, we both were sort of fairly pleasantly surprised by, wasn't it? That's the yeah. one that we both thought we didn't like, and then when we watched it, it, it was actually quite a good story. Um, yeah, it wasn't bad. Underworld, I can really, oh, I really struggled to get through Underworld. Fendal is decent. I uh, quite like that one, actually. Visible Enemy, I can't really remember that one. Mm. Is that the one with the sort of red... The monster's like this sort of red outline. <laughs> Looks like someone's drawn it in on the film. Is that that one? It is, yeah. It's, um, yeah, can't really explain what movie, yeah. Yeah, it's not... Um... I remember I liked the first <laughs> couple of episodes of Invasion of Time. That's where Tom's going mad, isn't it? I do do remember I like the beginning of it, and then I think it, it, it loses it a bit if I remember rightly invasion of time yeah yeah correct yeah the invisible enemy is um it's probably more well known for like the bubble wrap physical makeup on their on their faces and stuff mm. <laughs> yeah but the good thing with these box sets mate i mean as i said they, i think they're all these you know they're all watchable stories apart from maybe underworld so it's it's still a, a fairly uh enjoyable season in in that sense maybe mm. not the best season but i guess what's great about these box sets and the thing that we all look forward to, especially those of us that have seen these stories a lot of times before, is the new extras. I mean, these sets are always lovingly put together with great new, you know, extra features. And uh, I'm sure this will be no different. So that's the thing mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to, the behind the sofas and the new making ofs. And I think there's a new 
Tom Baker, I don't know, well, not necessarily an interview, but there's a new, new little documentary of him just mm -hmm. chatting away. And yep. there's always good stuff on the extras. So that's what I'm mostly looking forward to with this set. Yeah, the extras look very cool. They're mainly focused mm. on the horror of Fang Rock. Okay, yeah. Um, obviously, because I think not everybody would agree, but I think that's in, in series 15, that's probably the strongest story. It's normally the one that's mm. reviewed and spoken about the most out of. Uh, out of that story so we've got updated special that's always a controversial one but we've mm. got updated special effects for fang rock and they they show a couple of them in the trailer they don't look too bad you know they don't know they don't too actually bad. yeah and I, i'm not a fan of updated effects because i think they often date quicker than the actual effects in the show but <laughs> occasionally they work all right and i did like so we do get to see an updated route on <laughs> which looks all right because they've kind of, they've just they sort of enhanced it a bit. I mean, from the quick clip I saw, I thought, ah, oh, it looks all right. Mm. And actually, um, I watched the Five Doctors special edition uh, a couple of weeks ago with updated effects. So this is the new, 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 new one, you know, so they've, they've updated the effects again, which I was a bit, because I love that and that episode. And I just thought, oh, you know, what have mm. they done now? <laughs> and actually, I approved very much of what they did. Um, I actually thought, well... Yeah, I, I I do approve of these new effects. They actually work very well in that new Five Doctors. So sometimes they, they do, I think it's when they don't tamper with them too much, you know, when they just sort of enhance them or find a new way of, of doing what was already there without changing it completely or trying to be too fancy with the limited budget they've got. I think they do work when they keep it simple. So true. hopefully that's what they've done on these ones, yeah. True, true, yes. Uh, we've also got Darkness and Light, which is a look at the life and career of producer Graham Williams. That's probably mm, going to be pretty interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in conversation, as always, so Matthew Sweet. Uh, on this one, he's chatting to Louise Jameson. That'll be interesting. That'll be good. We've got something called Inside the Lighthouse, which is the making of Horror mm. of Fang Rock. Uh, we've got the what you were mentioned, the, the Tom Baker interview. It's called Tom Talks. And uh, basically, Tom Baker muses on life the universe and everything so that's probably going to be very oh, interesting that'd be good <laughs> yeah new comment audio commentaries uh with tom bacon doing one which will be good oh excellent new 5.1 surround mix for horror of fang rock and then we've got rare convention footage tom baker blackport exhibition links <laughs> rare archive treats hd photo galleries uh loads of pdf archives and stuff like that um yeah. and then we've also got the they've included the trailer obviously on this so we've have a new trailer which we always get for these which is leela versus the time war um, i assume you've seen mm -hmm. this dude it's very cool yeah yeah i thought it was a great trailer uh I, I loved it i i've mixed feelings on these trailers these days because like, i always love them i think they've they've been brilliant every single one but there's a little bit of me misses so the early trailers were much more comedic and funny you know like if you think about the Peter Davison season where he was stuck on the aeroplane with Tegan and stuff. Do you remember all that? Yeah. And then there was one yeah. where Leela had a Vok <laughs> robot serving a tea in the garden and stuff. And I, I just thought they were so fun that I'm a bit torn. I, I would like it if they mixed up a bit. So if we got like one like this, which was serious, but the next box set, it's more like the, a fun one. You know what I mean? Because they've all mm -hmm. been quite serious recently. Like that last one with Tegan and the... My Mara, no, Tegan and the, the snake, whatever it's called. Um, it was very dark and I don't know. I did, do you know what I mean? I just miss a little Origin. bit of that comedic tone that some of the earlier um, trailers had. But that's not to say I didn't love this one with 
with Leela in the Time War because I thought it was fantastic. And when she beamed aboard the TARDIS and we got that clip of the Doctor turning and looking at her, I was like, oh, yeah, loving it. So <laughs> don't get me wrong, I thought it was a great trailer. It was, and she was very good. Louis Jameson, yeah. she's very, very good. Yep. She is good. And I'm looking forward to that interview, Matthew Sweet, because um, I'm sure she will talk about her and Tom's relationship because I think this is the season where he started to, they, they famously it just didn't click at all um, when she, she was cast. And uh, I think this is the season where they started to build bridges and um, started to get on better. And, you know, she, she's bound to talk about that. I would assume. Yes. Yeah. You would assume. Now, so. Nowadays, yeah. of course, they're very good friends, which is really nice to, to hear. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then the last thing, which we all enjoy is the behind the sofa. Oh yeah, which is going to be good. And my fave. Yeah, we've got Louise Jameson. We've got Colin Baker. We've, Colin. Yep, yeah, Sarah Sutton. Uh, Brilliant. Uh, Janet Fielding, Matthew Waterhouse, hey. uh, Katie Manning, uh, Bet- yes. Betson Roberts, who is the wife of director Pennant Roberts, and mm. comedian and presenter Toby Haydock. Oh, superb! I, I mean, I, I love the behind the sofas. I, they're always the first thing I put on whenever i get a new box set they i go straight to them i love them and actually a bit like our podcast mate i've noticed they've tightened those up as well because if you watch some of the early ones like on the season 12 blu-ray they are a lot longer and Mm. i don't know they were still fun but they've definitely tightened up the behind the sofas they they whip along now they're good they're great oh for sure yes yeah they're very good so anyway season 15 the blu-ray box set collection is up for pre-order now. You can order it from all the usual places, Amazon, Zavi, HMV, those sorts of things. And um, yeah, we have no release date yet, but I imagine it will be around April time. I was thinking that. I mean, they've just announced a BFI screening of Horror Fan Rock. Oh, mate, uh, don't. To launch this event. Don't. What? The ticket situation is is getting ridiculous, dude. Yeah, it is. Yeah absolutely agree uh so this is on the 4th of feb i believe sunday um yep sunday which um to be honest yeah you're right about the ticket thing it's an absolute not it's it's almost impossible now to actually get one in your basket and check out um even if you're a member um because they do this other they do this new well i don't know if it's new but they do this other membership thing now called uh what is it premium member premium who get even yeah. more um <laughs> preview uh, they they get to buy the tickets even before the members do before the public do so it's become really hard uh, to get a ticket um i believe uh maria are from our writing team i believe she managed to bag one so she'll be there representing us i, I hope i'm so. right in saying that yeah, she, she i'm pretty sure she said she managed to get one yes um so but yeah it, it has become a nightmare i mean i didn't i didn't bother trying because I, that's the day i fly back out to america so i was sort of gutted that I was like, oh, it would have to be that day. Like, couldn't it have been, you know, day? but yeah, so I, I couldn't have gone anyway, mm. um, which kind of in a way took the pressure off me because I get really, <laughs> I get ridiculously angry when I miss out on tickets to these things. And um, so, yeah, it took the pressure off me, mate. I didn't, didn't even bother trying because I won't be, hit. I'll be flying out to the States on that day. So, but yeah, um, I don't know. Are you, did Maria get you a ticket? Are you going or are you? Did you no, get a ticket? No, I wouldn't. No. I didn't. Yeah, so I saw it pop up. I think somebody on, I think I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Somebody said it was going to pop up. So the the general release time was 4 p.m. for uh, for sort of general, you know, general ticket sales. 
But I think members and premium members, I think they could do that from, I don't know, I think it was one o'clock, two o'clock, something like that. Yeah. And uh, I remember I, I looked on, on, on Twitter just after that and there was quite a few people saying it's how ridiculous it was because they had, you know, they were ready on the website, ready and ready to go. Um, for when their membership sort of opened up and they could go and get tickets and they just couldn't, it sort of just sold out literally within a couple of minutes. So um, loads of people missed out on this one. I haven't yeah. seen as many people that I follow on Twitter. You know, normally I see the same sort of people say, oh, bag my ticket today. But I haven't seen much of that at all. Mm. Um, I know our good friend Morgan, who often gets me a ticket, couldn't, uh, he didn't manage to get one, so he missed out. He said he just couldn't get it in his basket. I know my friend Phil um, just said it took him a couple of attempts to actually get it, you know, to get through, to, to, to get it in his basket. So, yeah, it has become a real pain, to be honest. Um, I almost wish they could put them in, you know, do two screenings, maybe one in the morning, one in the afternoon or something, because they've got more than one screen there. Mm. Um, I'm sure there must yeah. be something they could do. Uh, because it is it is just becoming really difficult to get tickets to this event. Um, so Louise Jamieson is going to be there as well, which is nice. She's going to be there at the BFI screening on the 4th of Feb. Um, so they'll get her up on stage and have a chat with her, which will be nice. Mm, yeah, so sure. it will be a great event. So if you manage to get tickets, enjoy. Let us know uh, how it goes and what happened. And what I was going to say, mate, it's normally the box sets come out fairly soon after the screening so if this is the 4th of Feb I like you assumed the box set wouldn't be out for another couple of months because they've only just announced it but with the screening being in Feb I'm now thinking end of Feb beginning of March I don't know oh possibly not sure yeah but yeah it does. I don't know unless they've like planned ahead a bit more with this one and they're sort of ready to go but I would assume somewhere around there probably March okay time, maybe. yeah that makes I sense I don't know yeah that makes sense dude yeah but that's just a guess. Yeah, good times. Yeah, so uh, Maria will let us know what it was like. She'll do a write-up for us, won't she? Yeah, she'll do a on-the-spot review. Roving On the reporter. On-the-spot review, yes. Yeah. <laughs> just before we move off this, mate, do you like... Well, I know you like the artwork, but um, I, I really like this artwork. It's a lot busier compared to some of the early releases with all the cogs and, and the Doctor's flowing scarf, but I really like the artwork for this one. I think it's a, a cracking piece of artwork. I think Lee Binding... Um, all months ago, sort of gave the gave a bit of a hint of that this would be the next set because he, I think he posted something like on Twitter. He posted something like one of my favourite artworks for one of my least favourite seasons or something like that. Don't I'm not don't quote me on it because that might not be what he said, but it was something like that. And people thought they just you know like they do put two and two together and said, oh, it's season fifteen. It must be season fifteen. So, mm. but I think it's a cracking cover for this one. I really like it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Yes, it has a very classic feel to it. I think some of the previous um, box sets, that the artwork that Lee's done, it still has a classic feel, don't get me wrong, but you get the feeling that the BBC or whoever sort of nudged him a bit and said, look, it's classic Doctor Who, but we need to make it look very... Uh, what's the word? We need to make it look science fiction-y enough so that you know sci- sci-fi fans are into it. Like contemporary sort of thing. A more contemporary look to it a little bit. You know, some of it's got like very big, hot purple flashes of colour and, Mm. you know, it's almost like a big finish cover. It is, A couple of them, yeah. So this one feels a bit more muted and a little bit more, a bit more of a classic, you know, genuine classic feel to it. So yeah, it's very cool. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, I shall look forward to that waiting for me when I get back. Lovely. From the States, that'll be there on the doorstep. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> it won't just be trodden around like, you know, all the local... Well, the last one went astray, <laughs> season 20, but yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Postman's tried to put it through the letterbox, but just can't quite squeeze it through. So it's yeah, scratched, crushed it, yeah. crushed it, and oh, just don't. left it on the doorstep. <laughs> All the local cats have had a wee on the box, and <laughs> lovely. Very nice. Yeah, <laughs> I look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> right, with that to look forward to, I think it's time for our review, dude. What we got? Yeah, so sticking with the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker. This week we are reviewing Revenge of the Cybermen. This is where we've parted company with the TARDIS. It's dead. There is something seriously wrong here. Once the infection develops, they've got a few minutes to live. I don't believe you've got the plague here, Commander. Cybermen. That's what we're up against, Commander. Cybermen. They're utterly ruthless, total machine creatures. We shall proceed. Bonga will be destroyed. You know, I sometimes wonder if your friend is quite right in the head. The Cybermen are here! They've landed on the first level! We've suffered heavy casualties and need reinforcements! Our weapons have no effect on them! We are destined to be rulers of all the copper! No, I don't think so somehow. You tried that once and you were nearly wiped out. Oh, that's a good trailer, dude. It's a good trailer, yeah. Very nice. So... Revenge of the Cybermen. It was first broadcast back on the 19th of April. It's four episodes back in 1975 and finished up on the 10th of May. It was written by Jerry Davis and Robert Holmes. Robert Holmes is uncredited. It doesn't say that in the credits, but he did uh, mm. He did have his finger in the pie, so to speak. <laughs> it was directed by Michael E. Bryant and stars, obviously, Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor. Elizabeth Sladen and Sarah Jane Smith, Ian Martyr as Harry Sullivan, and about a dozen supporting cast members. Um, the synopsis for this one is fairly short and sweet. Uh, arriving on space station Nerva in its distant past, the Doctor, Sarah and Harry find its crew threatened by a mysterious plague. Discovering that things are not as they seem, they stumble mm. upon a plan to commit genocide, devised by the Doctor's old enemies, the Cybermen. Mm. So on the surface, dude, on paper, it sounds very cool. But yeah. <laughs> what did you think to Revenge of the Cybermen? <laughs> well, I have to say, <laughs> I, I enjoyed re-watching this, um, not last night, the night before. I rewatched all four in one. I was going to watch it two episodes at a time, uh, but I ended up watching the whole thing. I, I did enjoy it, but I have to say, it's a story that's never as good as I remember it being. Um, so although I enjoyed it... it, it it's uh, stuff. It is a bit of a plodder. All the stuff with the Vogons is pretty dull. <laughs> the Cybermen don't really do anything. Um, it's not a great Cyberman story. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's it is one. I, I don't know if nostalgia plays into this a little bit in terms of my enjoyment because I always just think. But I used to have this on VHS and I used to watch it a lot. Um, and then, of course, now fast forward so many years, I'm watching it on shiny Blu-ray and there is a nostalgic feel to it. I do like the look of the Cybermen in it. It just takes me back to being like a teenager and watching this on VHS. So there's a bit of nostalgia plays into this, but I enjoyed it. But I, I have to acknowledge that it's um, 
it's not a very good Cyberman story. They don't really do anything in it. The Vogons are boring. Um, it does go round and round. It takes a long time to sort of get to its conclusion. And when it does, it just abruptly ends. So um, it's a little bit middle of the road, unfortunately, as a, as a story, uh, looking at it through my reviewer's head. Um, but I enjoyed it enough. I think it's it's just not great, but I do think it's it's got enough to it to make it an enjoyable watch. So I still like this one, even though I think I've got to acknowledge that it's not a particularly great story overall. Um, but it's got some nice bits. I, lo- I like all the stuff in the caves and with Sarah and the stuff with the bombs and Harry Sullivan as an imbecile and all that. It's got some lovely moments in it and the sign. <laughs> <laughs> the cyber leader prancing around with his hands on his hips is a real thing uh, <laughs> to behold. <laughs> so that's fun. Um, I do like the design of the cyber head. So I don't know about the rest of the costume, but I do. I've always loved this this cyber head, if you like, because I remember that when we saw it in uh, what was the Eccleston story where they land and we saw one of these cyber heads in a cabinet. Um, was that Dalek? Or? Oh, you know no, that story, right? Uh, I know which one you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so people will be shouting at the podcast. They'll know what I'm on about. So there is something about the design I like. I don't like the gun in the head. I think that's a ridiculous idea because they they kind of have to sort of lean forward and aim it. And it, it it's a ridiculous idea having this gun in the head. But I do love the design, the sort of new redesign. And I hadn't realised um, this was the first cyber story in like seven years so the last time mm. we saw one saw them would have been the invasion with the second doctor so i think that's quite incredible that pert we never met the cybermen i think he would have been great going up against the cybermen um so yeah it's a bit of a lackluster return for them if i'm honest but there's enough in it for me to find it enjoyable so yeah it's just a bit middle of the road for me what do you reckon yeah this is a, a, a strange story for me this one it is, isn't it? Yeah, because I think there's lots there's lots to like about this one. There is lots. Uh, and it's one of those stories where you think, if only they'd changed just a couple of things, mm. it would have been so much better. And I think a lot of viewers were very much in tandem with how it's it's well known that Philip Hinchcliffe really disliked this one. Yeah, he's not a fan. No, he really disliked, uh, just like some, not not even like this. Like sometimes when a when a script editor or a producer or somebody sort of has some some disdain about a story, it's normally the subtle things that they complain about. Very rarely does a an, a story get all the way through to you know finished production almost, and then they start saying you know, I, I hate you know. The, the main characters <laughs> you mm. know i'm really unhappy with the music and i'm unhappy with oh yeah you know music, all, you yeah. know all that stuff so it's uh it, you, you you can see his point though so he one of the things he really disliked was the vogans themselves he really didn't like all the masks and the makeup he didn't like the uh mm-hmm. as he put it the shakespearean projected shouting all the time yeah um and all that stuff so you can kind of see his point. I definitely do. So that's what I mean. It's like, yeah. on one hand, it's a very cool classic story. It's got some great elements in there. You know, the whole, even the continuity part of things, you know, turning up on the Ark thousands of years before the Ark in space, you know, mm. doing all that stuff. So that's very cool. Uh, having that kind of world building stuff, you know, 
yeah from another story and all that and uh the actual um uh sort of motives for the cybermen and this kind of uh you know you have this different layering of 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 um people wanting to accomplish different things so you had uh, one of the vogans who's like hell bent on removing like the uh, the elder vogan so that he can you know just break free from living in the caves and uh you know go to the surface and of voga and uh and uh and sort of make deals with other planets and you know just basically start to get their their race back on on plot instead of hiding away all the time so there's like some stuff going on there you've got the cybermen who view voga as a, a huge threat because obviously it's made of gold and that that's their weakness so they want to get rid of that and then you've yeah. got the the um you've got the character kelman who's a double agent you know he's kind of at first it's like he's setting the humans up on on nerva to be defeated by the cybermen but he's actually a double agent he's working with um with what's his face so that they can uh they can destroy the cybermen and you know so there's all mm. these things going on and it feels very it feels very classic who in that respect and uh and to the main cast are really good so tom's reasonably good in this one it's not his best story but he's reasonably good sarah jane and harry are very good but it just um like you said there are certain things that you, you know once you've i think once you've seen it once you're not that you're not in any rush to sort of watch this a second time no, because I think when I mean? we when we when we put it on the schedule to review, I was saying to you, "Oh, I haven't seen, I haven't watched that one in ages," and it is one as a kid I would watch a lot in that one because I had the video. Um, and I think as a kid, I loved stuff like I loved the Cybermats um, because <laughs> that would have been the first time I've I'd seen them. And you know, I think the effect on the neck with all the veins glowing is really good. So that takes me back to my childhood, just seeing scenes like that. But again, when I watch it now, I'm. <laughs> I mean, I, th I still think the effect looks good, but I'm not a big fan of the Cybermat redesign. Um, you know, it doesn't quite work as well. Again, this is what I mean about it not quite standing up to how I remember it back in the day. You know, it's um, it's a little more dated than I remember. Is this the first time that this is... I'm just trying to find this on Wiki. I'm sure somebody like our friend Martin or somebody out there will know. Is this the first time that it gets mentioned that the Cybermen are allergic to gold i mean it becomes a thing after this doesn't it like in earth shock it's used to defeat them and stuff but it's um i don't remember that being a thing before but i could be wrong i'm, I'm so i'm just looking on wiki to see if this is the the first story where it's kind of brought up because um yeah i don't remember the cybermen being allergic to gold before this i don't remember it being mentioned in tomb or invasion or anything like that but um, i think it's a cool I idea i like so. the idea of it getting stuck in their vents and all this i I quite like the idea of it. But, I think uh, yeah. it is, dude. Yeah, I think it's the yeah. first time the whole gold, the gold thing is mentioned in, re in relation to it being a weakness. Yeah, I think so. We could be and wrong, I think obviously. But yeah. As I say, somebody out there will know. Mm. I'm just trying to have like a quick Mark. look. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, and I love the idea of the reuse of the Ark in Space set. I think... Um, I think that's a cool idea. I think it's one of the things I like about season 12 is it, it, you know, with the time ring and all this sort of thing, it does have a little sort of arc which links the stories together, which is quite nice, gives it its own little sort of feel to the season. Um, and I think it's a nice idea to reuse the set, but change it slightly so it's from a diff 
different time period mm-hmm. uh, not just for money saving reasons but i think i just think it's a nice idea in general to to revisit a place but see it you know as it used to be or as it will be in the future you know i think that's quite a cool concept it's just a shame that the sets don't look anywhere near as good as they did in the ark in space because the ark in space that spaceship felt very you know you, you got a sense of the space and room you know it felt bigger whereas it feels so much more enclosed this time um don't sort of get that that same sense of feeling and it looks more dowdy as well <laughs> you know it doesn't <laughs> look true. anywhere near as nice yeah. as it does in the ark in space and in fact the sets in general are not great the vogon set is all right i mean we'll talk about the giant gallifrey symbol that's everywhere <laughs> in their set that looks all right mm-hmm. but the the cyber mad spaceship mate what the, it looks like they've been shoved in a broom cupboard it is a, <laughs> such a dreadful set it's like just three slat walls they've shoved some sort of piece of junk on one of the walls and then they're just sat in front of a monitor it's a dreadful set for the cybermen um so yeah the set set wide again it could be a money saving thing set wise arc in space set looks dowdy the cybermen spaceship set looks appalling uh, and the vogons have a nice table so <laughs> it's a bit of a mixed bag really <laughs> yeah that's the um so th- when they go on location in the caves and everything oh, that's yeah that's yeah. kind of cool isn't it i mean that is nice yes Yes, and that's um, Wookie. That's Wookie Hole down in Somerset. You ever been? No. Is it nice? Nor though, have though? I. Oh, you haven't. No, I've never no. been. I want to go. I really want to go to the pub that there's a famous, you know, like behind the scenes clip of Tom taking some Cybermen to the Wookie Hole pub, isn't there? I really want to go to that pub, but no, I've never been to the caves. I'd I'd like to go. I'm a little bit scared to go down because it's a bit. I would imagine it's a bit claustrophobic and. And also, if you watch the making of this, apparently they had so many weird things happen down in that cave. They were like, they, they, you know, they said there was a lot of, um, even if you don't believe in ghosts or curses or whatever, they said a lot of stuff was going wrong down there. Because um, <laughs> it is supposed to be, I think it's supposed to have a witch haunts it or there's something down there. They oh, reckon. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Michael E. Bryant said they did have a lot of really strange things happen while they were filming down there. I think... Um, poor old uh, Elizabeth Sladen um, nearly died, didn't she? she was, the scene where she jumps in the boat, it kind of veered off in its on its own and she was heading towards some sort of cliff and um, one of the stuntmen, probably Terry Walsh, I think, jumped in and saved her and then he was off because he drank so much of the water when it was carted off to hospital for like a week. And There's loads of stuff went wrong uh, filming in those caves, so they probably didn't enjoy it too much filming down there, but it looks good on screen. I think the Cybermen look cool when they're down there. Something about seeing them on location that I really like. So yes, that's what I mean. I there are bits like that which are really cool. I think you know, really like about the story. Yeah, I've I've not heard anything about the curses and the um. Oh, you gotta watch the documentary, the mate. There's a, there's like a there's something down there called the Witch's Cove or something, and they dressed up as a witch and then they. Th- and then all this stuff started going wrong. Like someone fell off a ladder, putting up the lights. Uh, Elizabeth Sladen was nearly killed. Um, so there was loads of stuff happened while they were down there. And they said oh. it's ever since they dressed up the witch and took the mickey of it. So they were convinced they'd curse themselves or something. So yeah, have a, have a look at the, the making of mate. It's all on there. there. There was loads of stuff went down in that cave. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a look. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I'm not sure. Interesting. Not sure about the whole witches and curses, but apparently the cheese it, is nice. 
The cheese. Wookie hole cheese, yeah. Oh, I, like, I like the sound of that. I do like my cheese. Famous cheese, dude. But anyway, the um, mm-hmm. yeah, so the cave stuff was really cool. Like the location and you're right, you're seeing the Cybermen down there. And I think it was the lighting that was very cool, you know. Yeah. I think they lit it really well. It still had that kind of um, foreboding kind of, not not pitch black, but this kind of darkness to it. Mm. But at the same time, it was, uh, no, it was good. And then you're right about the sets as well. So I think when we had the arc in space, they had really gone to town a little bit more on, m- more so the verticality of the sets more than anything mm. for me. So you know in the arc in space, when they go into like the main, the main um, chambers where all the humans are being in sort of held in suspended animation, you know that all the pods and stuff. Yes, yeah. You know, you can know exactly what you mean. The yeah. set is really high, and you know, and you can look up, mm. and there's lots going on. Whereas, I know it's cliched, but this is just a series of little corridors, really. And then the only, the only thing that you see outside of that is the main, I guess, the main navigation bridge area, where, um, yeah, you know, where we see the um, the guy at the beginning who's like, you know, trying to, trying to communicate you know with other people and stuff and then you see like little quarters really and that's it and then when we get onto the cyberman ship excuse me the cyberman ship yeah that's even less <laughs> um it just seemed very claustrophobic and tiny and yeah yeah and dingy <laughs> dingy yeah it doesn't look very you know for a they don't employ a cleaner you know, to reprogram one of the cyber mats. Cyber cleaner. Yeah, you know, like the little Roomba vacuum cleaners that you get these days, the yeah. little circle ones that sort of just zip around <laughs> your house and do it all for you. Couldn't have just reprogrammed a cyber mat to go and do that. Would that. Be, that would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, they've missed a trick there. They really have. Definitely. <laughs> cyber vacuum. Cyber vacuum. Cyber clean, whatever. So, yeah, sets and stuff, dude. Nothing to shout home about, but the location stuff was good. Apart from the Gallifrey symbol, which is odd, isn't it? Because it's not, you know, the Vogons have got what we've come to say is the, like the seal of Rassilon. On, it's like a, it's everywhere down there in their, yeah. their quarters. It's on the wall, it's on the table. Um, and I think it's simply the explanation is that it's, it's not a, there is no connection to the Time Lords, I don't think. It's, it's just that Roger Murray Leach just came up with it for this story and, and quite liked it and used it again um, when we get to Gallifrey. So I think it's just as simple as that, but I'm sure fans could find a way to write it into who law if they wanted to, but it's quite strange, isn't it? Seeing them, seeing that, you know, that what we've is such a well-known symbol in Doctor Who now, like on their costumes, on their dining room table, on the Vogon wall, <laughs> it's everywhere. And it's like, it's nothing to do with Gallifrey whatsoever. So it is a little bit. It is yeah. a little bit to do with Gallifrey. Is it? Yeah. But not Gallifrey as a whole. It's actually something more connected to Rassilon. Rassilon, yeah. Seal of Rassilon, is it? Yeah. Yes. So what happened is this. Oh, oh. here we go. <laughs> here we go. Gary so, was ready for me on this one, I can tell. So <laughs> there, there's a Vogan named Jorus. He's in this story, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, Vorus, uh, sorry, Jorus is, um, Vorus, I think he was the, uh, sorry, Vorus. Yeah. Uh, David Collings. No way. I was going to, yes. Cause I could, didn't you recognize the booming theatrical voice of David Collins? Come on. <laughs> I knew that as soon as I heard the voice, I was like, oh, I, I know that voice. What a guy. 
Yeah, I know. There you go. Um, so, uh, Vorus. Sorry, no, uh, a different Vogan named Jorus. Uh, led a crew uh, outside the Voga system um, and were about to pass through an asteroid belt when their ship was transported to another system by Rassilon. Uh-huh. Uh, and he himself had been captured by a race called the Ravaris. Raravis. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he put out distress call. The Vogans uh, mounted a rescue attempt saving Rassilon from his captors. And as a reward for providing his freedom, he promised the Vogans technology and knowledge far beyond their current level. And on the journey back, Rassilon discussed with them all of the Gallifreyan politics and all the stuff about Gallifrey, with Jorus taking particular interest in his seal. He was drawn to his seal. Mm. So the political system on Voga later reflected that of the Time Lords, and the seal of Rassilon would later don the halls of Voga. <laughs> so that's your that's your setup. Where are you getting that from? This is from TARDIS Wiki. <laughs> right, cool. Well, actually, I've never heard that before. I kind of like it. <laughs> Basically, they rescued Rassilon. Yeah. And as their reward, he imparted on them that some of the knowledge of Gallifreyan technology and so on. They were very super impressed by this and humbled by the the opportunity to receive all of this knowledge and technology Mm. and stuff. They kind of inherited the seal of Rassilon as their own kind of uh, motif moving forward after that point. Okie dokie. Got it. So it's not just for decoration. It's not. All right, then. Apparently. <laughs> I shall remember that next time I watch. God. God. It's only a few Call myself clips, a Doctor Who fan. Man. We've got a fake fan here, everyone. <laughs> fake fan. <laughs> I knew nothing about this either until I researched it for this very recording. Yeah. 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 There we go. There you go. Cool. Thank Rassilon. Yeah. Good old Rassilon. As always. Yeah. Praise the Rassilon. <laughs> Okay, dude, what did you think to the very isolated little story that the Cybermen occupy within this one? Because normally, the Cybermen have got much larger aspirations, haven't they? Oh, yeah. And uh, they they come across, it's like, um, typically it's like most Dalek stories, I suppose, or anything like that, where they're not just after one little thing. They're not just after one, you know, they're normally, you know, the Cybermen. It's it's normally uh, we're going we're going to kickstart a new Cybermen um, population. You know we're going to take over the galaxy or whatever. You know the the rule of the Cybermen. You know all that stuff. Whereas in this mm. story, it just feels like yeah, we're just going to take out this little planet and then we'll go from there. Yeah, it's not it's not like a grand scheme, is it? They they just mm. seem like um, three Cybermen that have. They're a bit bored in space and they've got the hump and they're like, oh, that, there's that planet of gold. Oh, that annoying planet. Let's go and blow it up because, oh, gold. You know, it's, it, it's literally that, isn't it? They just want to destroy mm. the planet because it's meant to go. Um, it's, it's just made even funnier by the fact that the cyber lead is just camping around with his hands on his hips, like, you know, huffing and puffing. So actually, the, to, be, to, to be serious, they're, they're not in it as much as I thought. I think that's why I found it 
um, a little bit slightly disappointed watching this again the other night. They don't come into it really properly until the end of episode two. So they're not really, they're only really That's true. in the main sort yeah. of last two parts. And then they don't really do anything when they do come into it. So, you know, things like when they come out of the spaceship and start shooting people, the cliffhanger to episode two, where they shoot the doctor and stuff, that, that's the sort of thing that I remember as a kid finding really exciting. Like the Cybermen are coming through and, oh my gosh, they've shot the doctor. And then, yeah, last night I'm watching it and it doesn't live up to anywhere near the excitement levels, I remember, you know, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you it's know, they bit, don't really um, do anything. <laughs> they're a bit basic, aren't they? They're very basic, yeah. You know. What do you reckon to the cyber gun in the head, by the way? Because uh, this is the only story, I think, where they do that. A, an odd design choice, isn't it? It is a bit odd. A wee bit you know, odd. Because it yeah. really restricts them. I mean, if anyone's behind them or, <laughs> you know, they've got to <laughs> well, spin round and try and aim. And, having yeah. said that, when mm-hmm. when the Doctor and Harry try and... Um, get the sort of surprise attack on them in the caves to rub the gold into the into the oh, main chest plate. Yeah, they leap down on them from behind, but they didn't manage to get the job done. The Cybermen still they still uh, sorted them out. That's true. Yeah, I mean they do they, they do come across as more menacing when they're in the cave for some reason. Uh, maybe it is because of that fight scene. Um, and I do like this thing of the bombs. You know, if you if you try and take them off. They'll they'll explode and stuff. So obviously we get that fun scene where Harry not only covers the Doctor in rocks, but then tries to blow him up um, by removing the bomb. So there are yeah some good bits like that. But yeah. I don't know. I suppose it's it's quite handy not to have to carry around a big heavy cyber gun. <laughs> uh, it's kind of more compact to have it in your head. But maybe if they had one in the head and uh, another one just in case they need it. I don't know. It just it's it's just a bit of an odd choice. I think. Is a little. I mean, it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, you're limited on where you can put it. Really, it's just the way <laughs> the guy has to put his hands on his hips and sort of bend down to try and yeah. shoot them and stuff. I thought, oh. And also, you're yeah. operated. It, it's not operated by some kind of um, mental connection to the weapon. Mm. They, there's like, I think there's a switch or something on the chest plate, so they're constantly sort of reaching around to find the switch, and then it it reloads very slowly as well surprisingly it's not the I should greatest imagine it was i should imagine it wasn't fun when they were filmed as well because they must have had to put those little charges in every time they yeah. filmed it they'd be yeah. like all right stop for a minute we just need to put another little charge in okay action fire stop yeah. let's put another little charge in i can't imagine it was a lot of fun <laughs> doing that that's probably why they didn't shoot that many people yeah cut reload <laughs> that took Classic about an hour. Who, hey? Nowadays yeah. it'd just be CGI, wouldn't it? Yeah, they wouldn't even mm-hmm. bother with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Cybermen in this story then overall. Unfortunately, not just not the not the best not the best in terms of why they're there in the first place. And also no, no. their how they're visualized and some of the design choices and the actors playing them as well, it just felt you know, a little yeah. bit sort of clunky. You know, they're not really, they're just not threatening at all is the, the crux of it. They just sort of limber along and, you know, the famous hands on the hips, as you've mentioned a couple of times, and it just doesn't mm. feel like they're just very threatening, menacing, because they get built up that way. The doctor does say, you know, Cybermen gives them like a little description, you know, these terrifying beings, you know, yeah. and all that stuff. And you think, yeah, he's he's nailed that. They are pretty scary. But then 
I mean, we've seen like some, some a couple of way scarier Cybermen stories before this point. Well, I recently no. watched two of the Cybermen. I watched it over Christmas. Um, I just just had this um, desire to watch it. It was just a really random thing, you know, like you do when you, you're looking at your Doctor Who collection thinking, which story haven't I watched in a while? And it was because it's snow and Christmas. I don't know. My, my, my brain just went towards Tim and Cybermen. And I thought, that is a great story, you know. I really enjoyed watching it again. And they are threatening it. I mean, they're throwing people all over the place in that story, even if they are on wires, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. But the, the cyber leader, he's sort of towering over people with his big old brain and he's very menacing, you know. And unfortunately, you don't get any of that sense in this. Um, uh, and also, I think the voices um, are, so, are, are not modulated enough, a bit like the Daleks in Day of the Daleks. It's almost as if they, they'd lost the modulator or didn't turn it up enough they they sound too human to me you you can just it just sounds like a man in a suit you know I, I i and i don't remember that i don't remember them being so unmodulated you know and that i think that has a lot to do with it because it makes them more creepy uh i don't think they needed to be modulated to the levels of tomb by the way <laughs> because if anything they're too modulated in tomb do you know what i mean but they they do yeah they just sounded a bit too much like Mm -hmm. the actors to me i think they needed a bit more modulation on them it's a different cyber leader isn't it who's the guy christopher robbie in this one yeah. whereas before it was michael kilgariff um who's quite a big tall you know imposing figure whereas uh no offense christopher robbie he was just a little bit um you know, a little bit some... uh dry yeah, yeah, a bit dry, yeah. Yeah, but as I said, not necessarily his fault. If, he'd, if they'd have sort of treated his voice a bit, I think mm -hmm. would have been better. I don't remember him being like that, actually. I really don't. But then again, I haven't watched this for a while, so. Mm -hmm. I'll read you. Mm. What do you think to the Vogans, then? So this is the other... Mm. Out so there's three groups of of peeps, essentially, isn't there, in a the story. You've got the humans on, on Nerva, who yeah. have been wiped out by the plague, which were... The plague. And the plague. And this is the other thing that um, <laughs> that uh, Phil Hinchcliffe wasn't particularly happy about. He, he felt mm. that the Cybermen were introduced into the story too late. And one of the things that plays into that is the reason why humans are dying of plague on the on the station is because of the Cybermat that's been planted there. But nobody, it's not explained anywhere at any point how that Cybermat got on the station. Or anything like that. So he felt that it yeah. would have been better to see the Cybermen introduced earlier, planting the Cybermat, and then just kind of waiting in orbit to do their thing. But that, so, that would have been better, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got the humans, you've got the Cybermen, and then you've got the Vogans, mm. all vying for for different things, really. So I think the humans are just they just want to get out of there, really, because they've you know they've been stricken by this plague and. They're trying to communicate with um, uh, with this neighbouring planet. They're not doing anything at the minute, so they're trying to hold out. Uh, we know what the Cybermen's uh, motive is. They just want to destroy Voga because of the gold thing. But the Vogans, they've got like this kind of civil war thing going on in their, within their ranks sort of thing. You've got the old leader, haven't you? I think it is it um, Trium. Trium. Mm -hmm. He's the guy, I think, I think that's him, who's... Uh, who just wants to keep the Vogans going as they are. You know, he feels like they've survived this long 
because they live in the caves and they don't expose themselves to other systems and planets and stuff. They just he's happy for them to just sort of bob along. Yeah. And not make any changes. But then you've got Voris, who's the guy that wants to completely change all that. So he that's the reason why he's in cahoots with Kelman, the double agent human, um, to try and stir up this uh this conflict so they can use it as an opportunity to, you know, trade with other planets and whatnot. So what do you think to the Vogans? Firstly, what, you know, their, you know, their motives and stuff, but also the look and feel, because we spoke about the look and feel and the Cybermen, the Vogans have got a very interesting uh, look about them as well, right? Mm. In terms of makeup and stuff. Yeah. It looks like a sort of, most of them wearing like these sort of ill-fitting masks, really. They, they, they I think they look like doddery old people and they, kind of played like you said in this very theatrical old-fashioned style of um of acting you know um the thing is that's the one thing that's consistent i think from when i watched this as a kid and watching it now is i always found the vogon scenes quite boring i find them as characters quite boring to be honest even when you know um even when David Collins is giving it his full theatrical best and bashing doors. Um, <clears throat> I just, yeah, I just, yeah, I just don't think, yeah, I like the motive. I think, you know, there's an interesting concept there, but it's, I, I sort of agree with Philip Hinchcliffe on the making of when he says that they feel like he's trying to take Doctor Who at this point, you know, he's, he's taken over as producer. He wants to take it into new territory and make it fresh and exciting. And he's, he says, you know, that these feel very much old school Doctor Who, something that would have been, you know, in in sort of like the, the Charlton and Pertwee era. But he, he's trying to bring things forward. So I agree with him. They feel very old school, uh, but not in a particularly good way. Mm-hmm. Um and I just find the scenes of them quite dull, to be honest. I, I mean, right. it's so funny. Well, unintentionally funny at the end when Voros, you know, David Collins is trying to get to that that um, control panel. You know, the bit where he's trying to launch the rocket and they're having a little ruckus. <laughs> and he, yeah. he gets there and then he gets thrown back and then he gets shot. And he's like, no, but I will press this lever. Um, so, you know, even that is so staged, uh, really, that it's more comedic than... than um, <laughs> entertaining i think yeah yeah true yeah no i concur so no, as I'm well not, I, I hate to be down on the i hate to be down on the vogons mate but they are my probably the least favorite aspect of the story i just find them a bit dull no i, I concur dude i think um uh, like i said at the beginning conceptually they are kind of cool mm. when you think about their um their their sort of isolated you know race of people and uh, they're just, you know, going through the motions, I think, like every civilization does. You know, you have these kind of bits of infighting now and then and civil unrest, all that stuff. They're just going through their own thing, yeah. Um, which is kind of cool. But it just comes across as very oldy-worldy, very old-fashioned, you know. it's uh, like they. I, I'm not sure if it was um, a Jerry Davis thing or a Robert Holmes thing. It doesn't... It doesn't strike me as a Robert Holmes thing. It strikes me more as a Jerry Davis thing. To have yeah, them, I mean, I, I don't know, but I would say the same. I mean, Robert Holmes, I think, uh, is quite a stalwart in terms of the writing of Doctor Who. So it, it just, it does, it just feels very old-fashioned. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the way that it was, di- I think some direction plays a part in that as well. So Michael mm. E. Bryant would have very much said, you know, the Vogans are this 
you know they're very much like this and you know you need to sort of project this way and you know so i don't i don't know they just seem very even for like this is like the mid 70s right it they feel very yeah they feel very like sick like a 60s they do kind of thing you know they don't feel a thousand they don't feel like a world away from um uh oh god what they call the telepath sensorites they don't feel a million miles away from the sensorites do they and that was how many years back so yeah it just feels a little bit like uh, old school for dot two i have to say that the directing as well i mean michael e bryant seems like a lovely guy and i and i do think he's a competent director he does um you know he does he's brimming with ideas when you listen to him on the making of he he was coming up with lots of ideas to make this story exciting and putting in some input and we should do this i think he may have been the one who suggested the gun in the cyber head i'm not sure but right you know, so he's he comes across as a guy that's that's passionate and wants to make something as exciting as it can be. But I'm I'm sorry to say I don't think it necessarily translates um, on screen. I, it, it doesn't. The directing doesn't seem to have that much flair to it. Um, it does feel a little bit ploddy. And uh, I don't know, yeah. it's just when you listen to him in the making of, you can tell he had a lot of passion. He wasn't one that just kind of turned up, saw it as a job and, yeah, you know, point and shoot. He definitely had, you know, a lot of passion in making this serial. But I have to say it, it doesn't doesn't always come across on screen. Like even the way the Cybermen are shot, it's, um, I don't know, it, it doesn't have a lot of flair to it, the direction. Uh, to be honest, which I'm sad to say, because as I said, he, he's a nice guy and and a good director in many in many ways. But yeah, you know, like the Vogon scenes, for example, they do feel so flat, don't they? Mm-hmm. They do. You know. Yeah. yeah. And, but then uh, again, I'm not sure what you could have done with them. They are just quite boring. <laughs> so. Well, you've got a couple of actors in there that potentially. I mean, Ooh, you know, well, you've got yeah, David Collins. He, you I know, mean, yeah, he he has a couple of scenes where he's properly going for it. Um, it always does. Surprisingly, we don't see much of um, Michael Wisher uh, in this one. Oh. He plays uh, Magrick, Magrick, who's one of the old sort of aides, if you like, to the to Voris. Uh, uh, sorry, to um to Trium, I think. And uh, but he's not in it that wow, much. I didn't you know? even realise that was him. Yeah, didn't even notice him, mate. Until oh, you've just said, "Oh, Davros, Michael Wisher." Of course, Davros. Wow, no. Well, that just goes to show, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, no, didn't even realise he was Magrick. So there you go. There you go. So, the Vogons. Vogons, not uh, <laughs> not setting the world on fire either. So let's start with, sorry, let's uh, carry on with, with our our trio of uh, primary cast members and see if we've got some, some corners to, to get from these guys. What did you think to, uh, sorry, what did you think to um, uh, Harry Sullivan then? So, uh, Ian Martyr mm-hmm. as Harry. What do you reckon? Because he's um, he's he's a cool he's a cool companion, isn't he, Harry? He's uh, he's almost like they've taken um, Ian from the Hartnell era, and they've said, you know, we need like a sort of Ian character um, who can play that well. So, I always feel like Harry Sullivan is like the 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 second version of Ian. You know, Ian and Barbara. Mm. So, what do you reckon, Tim? I see. I've I like the character of Harry, but I think um, he's he's quite limited in what they can do with him. 
um, because he's kind of, he, you know, he bumbles around saying, oh, girl, and all this. And it's all very sweet. I think he's a very sweet character, Harry Sullivan. And I, I think Ian Marta plays him brilliantly. But I do also think it, he, in many ways, is quite a limited character. So I think he fits into the season brilliantly. But I kind of understand why, um, you know, he gets left behind uh, in the next season. Because I think... Um, I don't know, I think there's only so much you can do, like, you know, him bumbling around, nearly killing the Doctor by exploding the bomb and stuff. It's all <laughs> very cool, and it does it does work well. But um, So, yeah, I, I really like him. I just think he's an odd character, and again, he feels a little bit of his time. Um, so I don't think he... I think it works... I hate to say this because I like him, but I think it works better when it's just the Doctor and Sarah Jane. Um because Harry's kind of just sort of plods around, you know, getting them into trouble and stuff. So I think there's only so much you can do with that. But yeah, I like him in the season and I think he's a very sweet character, but I think he kind of only really works um, in this season, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I like him because he's different. You know what I mean? I like him because he doesn't fit in and he is sort of like this um, square and a round peg. You know what I mean? It's just, but yeah, I, I just think he was perhaps a little bit limited in what, what you could do with him every week in Doctor Who. So, yeah. But he's a sweet character. I think I like him more than you. I think, I think I remember the last time we, was it Terror of the Zygons or something? I remember you weren't, you don't quite click with the character if I remember rightly, but you, you, you correct me if you do. But I do, That's I like true. Harry. I find him a sweet character. He's definitely sweet. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And he's very, sometimes he's quite protective of Sarah Jane and he's quite, um, yeah, you know, and he wants to do the, Sort of the honourable thing, you know, as the gentleman, not including the doctor, but you know, as the, the human gentleman, yeah. gentleman, he wants to do the right thing. So I get that. Yeah, he's uh, mm. he's kind of cool. It always just strikes I never me. Never get why the doctor's yeah. so. Yeah, sorry, go on. It always just strikes me as. Um, it, this is probably just me. You know, no one else shares this opinion, but I don't know. It just always felt like they needed someone else to fit into the TARDIS team, and instead of casting or creating a character that's very unique it's just like well we need an ian style person you know to fill in the gap but that's probably just my opinion but yeah um in this story he's kind of he's kind of cool he's a little bit bumbly he's a little bit but sweet nonetheless yeah what were you going to say dude the doctor well the doctor gets quite cross with harry in a lot of this episode doesn't he is it yeah. almost i wouldn't say he's nasty to harry but he's very snappy with him um <laughs> at it's times funny. Yeah. i mean yeah, which is funny, and again, but I think that could have got quite irritating quite quickly if the Doctor was just, you know, getting frustrated with him every week and huffing and calling him an imbecile every week. It's funny, but not constantly. A bit, a bit like the sort of Doctor Perry thing, where it's just like, oh, stop bickering, you know? So, because um, I, I know they got on great in real life, uh, Tom Baker and Ian Marta. But, uh, yeah, so the Doctor seems to be finding him a bit tedious having him around as well, so I don't know how long... Uh, that would have worked for. I, I've never really compared him to Ian May. I've never seen, I've never thought that before. But you know, now you say it, I, I can see where you're coming from. Actually, um, I mean, they are very different characters. But I get what you mean about having this sort of person. You know, Ian would probably be the one that would. What does this button do? And open a door that leads into a you know a, a hundred foot drop or something. You know, so I I, I kind of see where you're coming from on that. Yeah, so I, I, I don't thought that before, to be honest. Yeah, so I don't mean in terms of characteristics or, you know, trying to emulate how Ian used to behave or talk. More so, just the image of just mm. you know that kind of um, person. Um, 
But anyway, yeah, and it is quite funny when the Doctor snaps a couple of times at him, and yeah, poor, mm. poor Harry. Yeah. What did you think? You feel sorry for him. <laughs> yeah, to uh, Elizabeth Sladen then, as uh, as Sarah Jane in this one. Mm. Um, she, yeah, she she's good. I'm actually just struggling because apart from the bit of beginning where she gets bitten by the Cybermat, I have to be honest, I'm struggling to think what she gets to do in this one. And I only watched it literally uh, two nights ago. There's a bit where she beams back aboard, you know, um, the ship and uh, you think she's going to sort of sort the Cybermen out, but she doesn't. She just gets tied up. I don't know, mate, actually. Help me out on this. I I am actually struggling to think because I wouldn't say she's banned in it. It's, you know, Elizabeth Sladen always gives a solid performance, but there's the bit on the boat, I suppose, when she escapes, which is pretty cool. But she doesn't get a lot to do, does she? From yeah, she... Nothing um, springing to mind. Like, no standout moment for Sarah Jane for me in this, I don't think. I mean, there's a couple of times where... Um, there's a couple of times where she... she you know, when she gets um, bitten by the Cybermat and she's infected and stuff. Um, sort of those scenes, we um, when the Doctor's trying to, you know, get everybody to to calm down he's like look all we need to do is just throw her in the trans mat and beam her down and you know mm. and she'll be fine and, and stuff like that so those scenes where she's involved in like these sort of intense little moments she's very cool but she doesn't really have any large um things to she hasn't got a large checklist of things to do in this she hasn't got a and she doesn't have those moments either where it's like those cute little Doctor and, and Sarah Jane moments uh, mm. between them because I think she's more with, she spends more time with Harry than yeah. she does with the Doctor. So it's more sort of those two who are off doing their thing while the Doctor is, you know, investigating something or is or whatever. So, um, yeah, not her best story in terms of her involvement and her sort of chemistry with the doctor because she doesn't spend that much time with him but she's still cool nonetheless she's just not in it as much and is not in cahoots and having a laugh with the doctor as some of the other ones no no definitely i think that you know that you know there's more moments of harry and the doctor that's that stand out to me in this like the the rock falling and stuff like that but um yeah i mean don't get me wrong performance wise as solid as ever but uh, just not many standout moments from her like i said not many of those dr sarah moments that i can think of in this probably at the end i think there's a bit where she says i missed you there's a nice little moment there but that's about the only one i can think of off the top of my head yeah i think so as well dude mm. yeah other than that she's okay i mean it's, <laughs> there yeah. are certain stories like that stories like that with sarah jane where She's in it, but she's not. Um, she's not like the driving force that she sometimes she's is. Not getting stuck in. Stuck it, in. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, and old Tom then, old Tom, <laughs> Tommy B. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier that I, I I feel like I feel like he was a bit re- more reserved and not one of his strongest stories. Um, some some very cool little moments. There's a, a couple of scenes where he's got that big beaming smile. Mm-hmm. that he has in some moments which is very cool and but not really the big you know big sort of shouty take charge moments really and not kind of i don't know he's good he's he's always good don't get me wrong but um yeah just felt a little bit um a little bit reserved i guess is the best word for me yeah 
I think I agree. I mean, I, I think Tom's great in it, but I guess you can tell it's his first season. He's he's finding his feet a bit. And I think also the writers, you know, he hasn't got the sort of typical Tom Fourth Doctor lines because the writers probably didn't even know who the Doctor was when they wrote this, maybe. I don't know. He, the, you know, the writers are still trying to find his Doctor for them to write for. So I think there's that as well. So you don't get as many quirky lines from his Doctor. I mean, I, I like Tom in season 12 because he does feel different, but it's um, but it's not the strongest fourth Doctor. I think he really comes into his own in the next season, 13. I think Tom really hits the ground running. Uh, not to say he's bad in his first season by any means. He's still very good, but he's not quite the fourth Doctor that we come to know and love um, in this one. But you're right, he's still giving a great solid performance and there are little moments where that Doctor comes through. Um, I do like the bit where he fiddles with this <laughs> like um, <laughs> radio control device to, to control the Cybermat and he uses it to sort of torture Kelman, isn't it? To get oh, the yeah. answers. He's like, That's do you cool. want me to do it? And I thought, oh. That's pretty cool of the Doctor. Because I don't know if he would have actually gone through with it because, you know, with the Doctor, we never know. Um, but there was a couple of moments like that and there's a bit where he grabs a bomb and he's threatening the Cyberman, Cyber Leader, isn't it? That's a cool scene. That's cool. You know, when the Cyberman yeah. comes up behind him and violently shakes him and all that sort of stuff. So there are some great moments for Tom in this, but uh, I agree. I think it's not quite the fourth Doctor that, that we come to know and it is just because it's his first season and I think Tom's finding his feet the writers are finding their you know how to write him and trying to gauge what sort of doctor he's going to be so it's still very early days but I can't, there is a there is a charm to that as well I think it is a quite nice to see early Tom and and how he is um finding his feet I think there is quite a charm to that as well yes I would agree dude defo agree so okay um let's talk about music very quickly yeah strange one this a real strange one so mm. uh carrie blyton was the composer for this one and um this was one of the things that philip hinchcliffe really had a problem with so yeah. he made some changes himself to the to the music cue and then he got hold of uh, Peter Howell from the Radiophonic Workshop and said, look, I really need you to come up with some other bits for this because <laughs> I, f I feel it's just dreadful. So Peter Howell did some replacement bits and, and bobs and stuff. And it was this story where Philip King, he was just like, look, this is ridiculous. It sounds bloody awful. So from this point on, Dudley Simpson's the man. So after this story, it was Dudley Simpson. He would be the only composer employed up until now up until the end of series 17 wow there was a couple of <laughs> other little Dudders. yeah a couple of other little bits by douglas camfield here and there but yeah. predominantly it was dudley after this so i kind of see where he's, there's a bit especially the opening bit dude you know when they've got the the ring of power uh is it ring of power or something they're all holding it and they're whizzing through space towards oh, the time ring yeah the time ring sorry yeah the ring of power what ring is this power. a tolkien story <laughs> I was going to say, you and your living Hobbit <laughs> stories. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, the Time Ring. There's this weird, <laughs> even right from the outset, there's this kind of strange... It, um, the the bits that, that, that Kerry Blyton came up with do not fit the tone of the story, basically, for me. No. It's got this no. kind of upbeat, happy-go-lucky... Uh, 
little kind of space twinkly theme going on mm. to it. And you've got people being killed by the plague. You've got Cybermen on the attack. You've got civil war going on and all this stuff. People getting captured. And you've got this music that sounds like, you know, everything's cool. You know, everything is all good. And this is a real cool, upbeat story and nothing bad's happening. So completely 100% on board with Philip Hinchcliffe on this one. That Carrie Blyton missed this by a mile. Yeah, I'm wondering so. why... I, I, I'm wondering why... Um, the, the, I don't know. Again, I think this might have been Michael E. Bryant's decision to to, to get yeah. yes to get him as the composer, which um, yeah, just it, it just doesn't work. The music. I mean, we know with Dougie Canfield that for whatever reason he would know he didn't like using Doug. Uh, sorry, Dougie Canfield didn't like using Dudley Simpson. So if ever we get a Douglas Canfield directed story, he will use someone else. So, but that's like you said, it's it's quite infrequent. So for the most part, we're used to Dudley, and Dudley delivers. That's the thing. I think there's a scene. It must be on the Blu-ray set, or I've seen a scene, or maybe it was on YouTube. I saw a scene where they put Dudley's music over this just to demonstrate the difference um, this story, you know, would have had if it had Dudley doing the music. And it just adds so much atmosphere to, to the scene that they're, you know, that they're using. Um, it just demonstrates it perfectly that if, if, if this had had Dudley's score, it just would have helped, I think, some of the scenes that were a bit ploddy. Even the Vogon scenes might have benefited from it, you know. It's, I think it's the scene of the Cybermen walking down into the cave or something. Someone's dubbed... Dudley's music on it and it's ju- it oh, okay. just adds so much to it you know you're like yes so it's got that marching dun 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 you know it's got that Dudley feel whereas yeah I hate to say it um Carey Blyton uh, his music is just too twinkly and twee and it doesn't add any sort of sense of oh, here we go the, or you know or oh that's not it just does not fit sadly I, the only thing I can say in its defence is it it does make it stand out I don't know if it, that's a good thing or a bad thing it does sort of make it like I, I instantly think of his music when I think oh Revenge of Simon and it's got that weird soundtrack you know it makes it stand out as being different um, so I guess that's a positive because like you said, Dudley does do so much. It is sometimes nice to have something different. Um, I think in the next story, uh, Terror of the Zygons, that's a Douglas Canfield. So we get, who was it did that one? Jeffrey Bergon, wasn't it? Did the music I for that. So. And again, that's yeah. lovely because it's something of a different, but yeah, I got to agree, dude. It, it, it doesn't enhance the story at all. If anything, it makes it even more ploddy. Um, and the little bits that Peter Howe adds in uncredited them them electronic styles of music aren't they so there's a bit with the cyber bomb where you mm-hmm. get sort of almost synthesizer to add a bit of dread and it completely conflicts with Kerry Blyton's really old-fashioned wind instrument type music so yeah nothing in the soundtrack really works in this unfortunately in terms of music I agree not good mm. not good I think the only shame. yeah the only reason why uh, Michael E. Bryant hired Carrie Blyton again is because he really liked his work on Death to the Daleks. They did previously. So he was like, yep, yeah, great composer. Oh, okay, right, that's why he hired him, is it? Let's bring him mm. on. But Philip was like, ah. Yeah. No, not on my watch, son. Not on my <laughs> watch. Yeah. Philip soon took the reins, didn't he, and soon sorted all these little yeah. problems out, I think, yep. by the sounds of it. Yep, mm. yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, okay, dude. Anything else on your notes? 
Um, no, just that um, I liked Jeremy Wilkim as Kelman. I thought he played. That. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, he, he kind of you kind of know he's going to be the baddie <laughs> straight off the bat. He's just got that look about him. But I did like his performance, um, and he's one of those people that I thought I thought he looks familiar. And I bet if I look on Wikipedia, he's got a long list of of um, filmography, and I bet he's been in loads of things. And actually, he hasn't he's he he didn't really do a lot at all. Um, I think he might have been in Dixon and Doc Green, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, he wasn't an actor that particularly did a lot of TV work. Um, which I, I don't know is strange because he feels very confident as an actor to me in this. You know, I just can just tell that he gets the part that he's playing. And I think he's, um, I think he's good in it. So yeah, I just wanted to give him a little mention because I think he gets a little bit lost in the mix. I mean, the other guys are fairly good as well. Who was the the commander? Um, he's pretty cool. And there's the guy who looks <laughs> reminding me of Tony Blackburn. He's uh, pretty good. Oh, Lester, that, yeah. isn't it? Lester. Did you think he yeah. looked like Tony Blackburn? Or is that just me? Absolutely, um, mate. Yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, those guys are pretty good in their roles. They they do add something to i think but for me i've got to say the main cast tom liz and harry as a unit are pretty much sort of um they, they help bring this story up a lot i think agreed yes yeah, yeah i forgot about those no, guys I don't think I got anything apologies mate yeah kelman he was really good jeremy wilkin yeah he's I got his him. little you know his little um brush tv you know he's got that hairbrush <laughs> whatever it is it looks like a horse brush yeah but he t- and he turns it into a tv it's so weird i've been watching all the james bond films recently in, in order from the beginning and um i saw that in i'm sure it was in live and let die or something the very same thing and so i don't it's <laughs> the same prop i don't know if they bought it or off them or or whether that actor stole it and it was on set i don't it is the same prop that's in uh live and let die i have a feeling the bbc might have bought it you know because they used to do that didn't they they would buy props off other production companies but uh, it's so weird that i saw it literally about a week ago in another thing and i'm assuming live and let die would have been before this so i think so yeah it's just so weird to see it pop up i'm like there's that tv thing again in the shape of a brush (laughs) and um and he was in one of the bonds as well jeremy wilkin so oh, okay yeah it's almost yeah it's a bit weird like almost like a, a an alternative running timeline i've been watching bond and actors and props have been popping up in doctor who literally the next week so yeah but definitely the same prop of that little tv thing wonder where that is now i think someone's Spooky. got it in their collection somewhere or has it been thrown in the bin it's someone's probably got it michael e. Bryant's probably got it <laughs> on his bedside table yeah yeah <laughs> Cheeky. But no, I don't think I don't think I've got anything else, mate, on my notes. Same. Yeah, covered it. Same Z's. Okay. Um, right. Let's get to scores. Mm. I think it's me to go first. It is you first. Yes. Yeah. I am going to give this a five point five <laughs> out of ten. Right. Yes. Um and I'm giving most of those points to some of the performances. And I think um, it's a real shame, this one. It's one of those stories, mate, where I honestly feel like with a few changes in direction and a couple of changes here and there, I don't think it would have taken much to bring this up to a much better story. Like, it it didn't need, like, a day one rewrite, you know, to fix anything. I think, conceptually, it's a good story and has some really good stuff in there. It was just just the execution of a lot of things is really... Uh, just yeah not good so 5.5 what about you 
I think you've hit the nail on the head there, mate. It is so, it is so close to being like a, a really good story, I think. It just drops out on a couple of things. I'm kind of torn on this because I feel like the story is like a 6.5, really, but there is a bit of nostalgia thrown in, so I'm going to be generous and give it a 7 because there mm. is just something about it that I, I know. There is something about it. I, I kind of like it, but even though I acknowledge its flaws, so a 7 from me. A 7. Okie dokes. Seven. Yeah, so he likes it a little bit more. Just a tad. But Just I think a lot tad. of that is nostalgia, mate. It takes me back to being a teenager and shoving in the VHS and, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it. I'll read you. That's fair enough, dude. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I'm glad you liked it. So that was our scores, but what did our listeners think? You guys came uh, over on the socials, which is very cool. Over on uh, X, Twitter. What should we say? I don't know. Over on Twitter. We had a few of you over there. Uh, Sam Ash said, looked uh, at it in more of a negative light due to it being in great company of others. Season 12 is fantastic, and this isn't too bad a finish. The weakest of the season, but still enjoyable with a fun little backlink to Ark in Space, a 6 out of 10. One mm-hmm. of our writers, okay. Jordan, uh, Series 12 is a great run of stories. It's a shame that revenge lets it down. It's a nice connection to Ark in Space, and it's nice to see the Cybermen again, but they feel like they are lumbering out the 60s when what they needed was a huge comeback, not a favourite of mine, uh, Jordan. Mm. Doctor Who Home. I understand. Yeah, says Hidden Gem in Season 12. Mm. At its core, it's a good story, but it's hindered by cheapness. The scenes on Vogue are fantastic, and I love the reuse of the Ark set. A 7 out of 10. A 7. A hidden Gem. Uh, Chippy T says, why didn't the Cybermen just bomb the hell out of Voga from space instead of all the messing about they do? <laughs> Did I miss this in the story? Good fun overall, seven from me. He does make a good point. There's a good point, yeah. Mm. Tom Zerlo says, uh, the weak link in Tom's debut series and a disappointing end to the proceedings, but it's still quite good fun. It probably suffers in comparison with the rest of the year. The regular cast are great and work well together. And the filming in Wookiee Hole is atmospheric. The Cybermen mm. are, as always, fairly underwhelming, and the other villains are a bit crap. But it never, <laughs> uh, but it can never be all bad when Tom Baker's Doctor is involved. Plus Harry and Sarah Jane. If you want a score, I'd give it a six out of ten. Six, okay. A six, okie dokie. Uh, we had just one comment over on Instagram. Uh, Block to Flux says Revenge of the Cybermen is a good story, and the cave stuff is good, but nothing stands out. A seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over on Facebook, uh, Steve Hur said one of the greatest stories with hands on hips, Cybermen dodging the glitter yeah. guns. The glitter guns. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Uh, Timothy Radmore says, uh, "Hey guys, good to have you back, and hope you had a good Christmas and New Year. Uh, the episode is one you can soak into the sofa with a cup of tea and just smile the whole way through." Um, he goes on to say that uh, it's the first time we see the seal of Rassilon, but both the Doctor. And Councillor Trium don't recognise each other, so I'm not sure where this place is. Voga and the Gallifrey connections. Overall, I rate this story a seven out of ten. A seven. Okay. Cheers. Well, lucky for you, Tim. We covered that off. <laughs> you can sleep <laughs> easy now. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Ball says, "Good to have you back. Missed your episodes for Aaron. the story itself. I do enjoy it, but the Cybermen lack menace. Tom and Liz and Ian are on top form, regardless of the Cybers. Uh, the story is brilliant. I'll give it a seven. Cybermats out of ten. Cool. Uh, Douglas Stanford Grandy. What a good name. That's a great name. Yeah, it says, uh, being from Canada and a Doctor Who fan since the early 80s, this for a while was the only Cyberman story I ever saw. 
the channel I got my Doctor Who from at that time only played Tom Baker episodes. And it wasn't until around 1984 when Earthshock finally came our way. That's interesting. Ah, only Tom yeah. Baker episodes. Yeah. Uh, he says, it's definitely not the greatest Sidemen story, but there'll always be a soft spot in my heart for it. Uh, perhaps you two will have discussed it already, but it's hard to believe that until the Tomb of the Cybermen was found in 1992, this was the earliest Cybermen story that was complete in the archive. That's crazy. Isn't wow. It? Yeah. Sadly, not much has changed. Tomb is still the only complete one from the sixes. But anyway, seven imbeciles out of ten. <laughs> Thank you. I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you very much, Douglas. Nice. Charlie Turner, my least favourite classic series Cyberman story, as I, like a lot of fans, I'm sure, were expecting something better uh, after the brilliance that was The Invasion. Uh, mm. It's not my least favourite Cyberman story. And yes, Harry Sullivan was indeed an imbecile. Five out of ten, and that's being generous. Tom Baker made it work for what it was. Cheers, Charlie. And lastly, Harry Walker says, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. <laughs> oh, Tom. <laughs> That'll be uh, alright, I feel like this might be the weakest of season 12, but they are certainly worse. Who episode? So a seven out of ten. Do you know what, dude? I think the average score on this is going to be a seven. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. We had a few sevens, haven't we? Yeah. Good. All right. Well, thank you very much, you lot, for uh, for jumping on the socials and giving us your scores. Very interesting. Yeah, I think the average is going to be a seven, so I'm a bit below seven. that. But uh, glad you enjoyed it somewhat anyway. Uh, okay, dude, what are we doing next week? So next week we shall be drifting back to meet the third Doctor in Frontier in Space. Oh. Draconians, I believe. Some Pertwee action, eh? Yeah. Next week. Bit of Pertwee. Okie dokie, cool. Right, and I think uh, on that then we'll wrap there for 388. Alrighty. Thank you, thank you very much for coming back and listening to another episode of the Big Blue Box Podcast. That was episode 388. As Adam said, next week we're going back to the Pertwee era. Uh, so get your uh, your DVDs and your Blu-rays or Fired Up or BBC iPlayer, whatever you want to whatever you want to do, uh, and get that episode watched because we'll be asking for your scores as always to see what you guys thought about that. In the meantime, make sure you are following and subscribing on your preferred podcast app wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us on there. Give us a, a follow on a subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode when they land every Friday, plus the monthly roundtables with the writing team. Uh, we can listen for free on the website as well, which is over at bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. And you can link off to all the socials there. Give us a like and a follow as we chat Doctor Who throughout each and every week. Also, check out all the articles and reviews from our writing team. Lots of big finish reviews, lots of articles. Get stuck in loads of Doctor Who content from us. So uh, get stuck in with that. Also, don't forget to remember <laughs> to go and check out my co-host channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, yep. Lots of unboxings and location vids and all sorts. Let's go and have a look at my YouTube channel, The Geek's Handbag. Indeed, Ian Adams on the socials too, under the same name. So go and chat with him about all geeky stuff and Doctor Who and mm -hmm. whatnot over on there. We will see you next week for episode 389. So until then, take care of yourselves and remember... 
Eh. Eh.